Let's uh, open up with a word. Father, we thank you for this past week and all that you intended. Pray that uh, you would uh, settle our minds, our thoughts, hearts right now as we seek to learn more about you and how hearts and practically deal with this matter of unbelief. It is a grief to you. Lord, we, uh, with all of our hearts, want to please you so that you might work through this time even now. Transform us from this old man, this fleshly uh, soul, Lord, hearts to uh, the new. Pray that we would bear the study today. All right, um, so uh, I'm assuming everybody's uh, all shoveled out and uh, driveways, except for mine, are nice and clean and black if they're asphalt and uh, gray if they're concrete. I still have a lot of white on mine, so uh, that's uh, that's the problem when you uh, shovel and shovel and you try to keep up, you know, you're so tired that when that last two to three inches comes down, you're like, nah, <laughs> I'm just going to drive over it. I don't I don't have time to take care. I, I couldn't believe on the, uh, this was the fifth largest uh, snowstorm in Chicago history. Yeah, I, it was... Yeah, I, I thought for some reason I thought that was odd. I thought that this wouldn't, would, this wouldn't even make the top twenty. <laughs> yeah, support level. Oh my person who has it. Yeah, you know, so Mick, Mick sold his uh, his uh, snowblower. I had uh, one young man. Uh, uh, I was got everything done, and of course the snowplow comes. Right, Redded two foot mound, you know, of heavy wet snow that. Just got to get out of the way. So I went out there and, and was shoveling that and feeling pretty good about myself because there's this young whippersnapper down the street there, two doors down with a snowblower, and I was working really, really hard in my pride and arrogance to get done before he was done. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't work. And I was, uh, I was a little embarrassed because he actually finished, and then I saw him out of the corner of my eye walking down the street toward me. I'm going... How humiliating. Uh, he said, hey, he says, this is the best investment I've ever made. You might say, you know, I, this is good exercise. For me. Anyway, enough talk about snow. Uh, so I, uh, I just want to begin with uh, an introduction here. Uh, been obviously two weeks um, since that. But um, we, we began this, uh, this module, Stilling Our Hearts for Intimacy with God, um, with the verse, Psalm 46, verse 10, still... Uh, and know that I am God, the first part of that verse. And, of course, the idea of being still, um, what words come to mind? We've talked about this before, be still, words that come to your mind. Quiet yourself, Uh, surrender, okay? Stop or cease striving. Some of the translations will say cease striving. And, of course, there, there is some striving, some biblical striving that is good, right? Striving after godliness, those kinds of things. But in this particular case, um, uh, it refers back to um, this fear and anxiety that the people of his time, that Hezekiah was king, Sennacherib was uh, planning on a table. That's really the context there. So when we talk about not the physical realm, but in the heart realm, when we talk about these kinds of disturbances, we're talking really about um, um, thoughts and beliefs. Um, These thoughts and beliefs that we have, uh, are, are really, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a born-again Christian, are to be fully underneath, submitting to, and that's uh, sort of the intention of this module. 
So in our past sessions, uh, as an introduction, we, uh, we tried to recognize the noise or noises in our soul. Um, we identified the major sources of this, this noise, this unstillness. And so up here on the board, I basically said, you know, unbelief. Um, the very first session, we answered the question, what is the godfather of unbelief? Remember what that was? Godfather of unbelief is pride. So unbelief follows uh, just an innumerable uh, numbers of, uh, of situations, of noises, of disturbances, if you will. Of course, we identified and categorized some of them, not all of them, but fear, anxiety, lust, anger, frustration, bitterness, those kinds of things. And so uh, as, as, we, as we don't believe... We have these kinds of noises in our soul, and of course the next step down is this step of discontentment. We talked about the if-onlys, right? I said, you know, let's, let's kind of go home this week, or this was three weeks ago, and try to ask the question, if only. If only I could have, if only I was, if only I would, all those kinds of things. So that's a matter of discontent. And, of course, uh, um, all the way down, if you will, that's the, the bottom of the barrel, if you will, is this, this idea or this, um, this position of despair, of hopelessness. So, really, this is the way down. Unbelief, your noise, the noise in your soul, we really want to try to identify that noise um, because the noise is there because of our thoughts. And we said that each of us is the captain is the captain of the noise in our soul. We control the noise in our soul because of our thoughts, our, our, our intentions. And of course, there's discontentment, despair, and hopelessness. Um, I have an interesting illustration when we get to this whole idea of uh, the way down. But it's a military uh, illustration as it relates to uh, one of my sons. So I'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But obviously the two primary dangers that result from the noise, obviously there's a physical degradation uh, of our body. Uh, we talked about many of the things related to physical degradation, uh, the, our, our autonomic system, uh, nervous system, which uh, uh, operates um, when action, when, when blunt, very direct, very quick activity needs to occur. And uh, that's where the adrenaline comes from, those kinds of things. So when we are operating in these areas of uh, noise, if you will, or unstillness, that autonomic nervous system is operating more than it should. That's why we have this, you know, a lot of times we have tiredness and those kinds of things connected. And gastrointestinal things and heart things and many, many other things that go along with this whole thing on the physical side. Um, on the spiritual side, obviously, you have this separation, this alienation God. So, understanding God's cure for this unstillness in our soul, um, we read Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Um, and, and those verses, if you remember, um, come to me, all you who are heavy, heavy laden, burdened. So, um, we, we basically summarize that verse into two commands. Come to me, Jesus says, come to me. And the second command was, come to me and be like me. Of course, that's really the cure for our un this unstillness in our soul. And then we went on to not just recognize the noise in our soul, but recognize the source of the noise in our soul. And we defined the concepts 
of truth and uh, unbelief. The source of noise, obviously, as we have, and we've already said, is unbelief. Clinging to the Word no matter what is happening around us. That's our solution. I appreciated this is uh, kind of a, a no-brainer to say this, but Mick and I were talking after uh, one of the equip hours, and uh, and he's, I, I can't remember the whole conversation, but I remember him saying, you know what, it's really very simple. It's, and it isn't. It's not very complex. Um, we, through our thoughts, our thought life, challenging than, than we So uh, thirdly, tracking the way down, unmasking this unbelief. Well, what really is this unbelief? And we spent some time in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 30, but it's specifically 20 verses, verses 21 and 25. Um, we read, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened, verse 25, and they exchanged the what? The truth for a lie. That's what happens in our hearts. That's That's... We have a sinful nature that is in every single one of us. And this side of heaven, that will never go away. Now, by God's grace and through the the knowledge of Christ, and as we take every thought captive to the mind of Christ, we learn to control that sinful nature. Okay, Um, but, but, But that struggle will always be with us. So we need to know that our sinful nature has a bent to take the truth and replace it with lies. So that's unmasking this unbelief. So there is a disorder in life, and the great disorder is, is unbelief. It's accepting the reasonings of the world over the revelation of God. Careful and very cautious about that. It's just interesting. You know, uh, most of you have heard, or been, maybe I've been online, and we, I'm not talking about the uh, Wikipedia, but there's another uh, website called Wiki. And you can go there, and you can just... You know, plug in something. So I, bl- I plugged in, you know, how do you deal with fear? Let me, let me share with you what the world says in terms of how to deal with fear. Um, so let me start here. Um, start by acknowledging it. Not a bad idea. Um, take control of your fear. Try gradual desensitization. In other words, expose yourself more and more to it. That's what they're saying. It's one thing that they're recommending. Consider a direct confrontation. Change the way you think about fear. Make your fear a source of fascination. This is what the world is telling us. Give fear a place in your life. This is what the world is telling us to do. Let yourself be afraid. Celebrate your victories and on and on and on. But this is this is worldly reasoning, okay? This is worldly reasoning. So replacing, you know, the truth with worldly reasoning, that's uh, certainly not anything that we want to uh, be doing. So rejecting anything true about God um, and about His Word is unbelief. Anything true about God and about His Word is unbelief. And so we went through... Um, we went through actually three specific passages of Scripture in Numbers chapter 20, in Mark chapter 4, and Hebrews chapter 12. And we saw that God did not con- condemn the emotion. Remember when Moses, right? Moses was told by God to speak to the rock so that the rock would bring forth water for the people of Israel in the wilderness. He didn't speak to it, he hit it twice with his rod. He was angry. You read it right into his. Uh, communication with the nation. 
God did not rebuke his anger. He rebuked. So God rebukes really our unbelief, not not really um, the uh, the noise itself. So this this fantasy, this great disorder that's unbelief, is really um, a lie. It's it's saying to ourselves that God Himself is not enough. He's not enough. His promises are not enough. For, um, so we reject what God says is true. Um, if we do that, all we can do is live in a sea world made up of our... Shattered Dreams was a book by Crabb, C-R-A-B-B. Was a, that book deals with um, this idea of uh, our imagination of God. And God sometimes brings trials into our lives, um, and he brings those trials into our lives so that they will bring us to specific truths about him so that we can... Just going to use the word reorder, reorder our thinking, reorder our understanding of Him, and give Him glory the way He tends. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic book. Um, so to live in a fantasy world hastens the unself, uh, the unsettledness or instability in our souls. Of course, James one eight, um, double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we continue, you know, down this tracking, tracking the way down. Unbelief leads not only to this discontentment here. We define what that is. In its worst form, it's really despair. So we talked about the if-onlys. Um, if only uh, in Numbers, going back to that, Numbers chapters 11 through 16, Israel's spiral uh, of replacing the truth with lies. And they ended up with a ton of noise, a ton of murmuring. It ended up in discontentment, and ultimately in despair. If only life were easier. If only we had different food. After if if only if only the old days were back. Remember the old days, which was an, an incredible, remarkable, uh, discontent statement. When they were in Egypt, God actually saved them out of Egypt, the lifestyle again. And then, if only we could be dead. That is just the pit of hopelessness and despair. So we read about that in Numbers chapters 11 through 16. So we really need to look and to learn, uh, look for and look uh, for the telltale roots of this unbelief, this discontent, and this despair in our lives. And last time we met, I had asked you to... Uh, to you know, just take note, uh, and so I took a little survey and asked everybody who was here uh, to rank in terms of you know the biggest problem you have in terms of noise and the least problem one through nine, and of course we listed all of these here, and uh, so you know the, just take a look at the survey. What what is interesting about the survey is this one light blue bar that stands up above all of them, and that's fear and anxiety. Which, which, I, which doesn't surprise me uh, at all. It's, uh, it's interesting that uh, if you take at least this very small, probably statistically insignificant group, um, you know, we all come out of it for the most part with fear and anxiety at a very high rating. Um, maybe not one number one in everyone's book, but certainly um, very, very high. So today, um, we're, we're kind of in this phase. You know, we're, we're kind of finishing up the way down, and then starting the way up. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about this uh, overcoming anxiety and fear. Um, I wanted to take just a few minutes, though, and, and read to you out of um, Andrew Murray's book, Humility. 
if you don't have this book, by the way, uh, some of my car, um, we gave these out to um, those who were here um, to the equip our uh, attendees. But I wanted to spend just a little time reading this because Humility and Faith, Chapter 9, um, there's, I can't teach better than this guy can teach. This book is, and I've said this before, this is a remarkable book. It's a book that um, uh, is um, uh, certainly near and dear to my heart in, in my library, and I trust you all will get a great, great benefit from it. But uh, in this particular chapter, identified as humility and faith, um, or we can say belief, um, as opposed to unbelief, I just want to read to you a few things as it relates to pride and couple others. In an address I heard recently, the speaker said that the blessings of the Christian life were often like the objects exposed in a shop window. One could see them clearly and yet could not reach them. If told to stretch out his hand and take, a man would answer, I cannot. There's a thick pane of glass between me and them. Likewise, Christians may clearly see the blessed promises of perfect peace and rest of overflowing love and joy, of abiding communion and fruitfulness, yet feel that there is something something hindering the true possession. And what might that be? Nothing but pride. As we see how pride and faith are irreconcilable at variance in their very natures, we will learn that faith and humility are one at their roots. We will learn that we can never have more true faith than we have of true humility. We will see that we may indeed have strong intellectual conviction and assurance of the truth while pride is kept in the heart, but that these make a living faith which has power with God in impossibility. Um, Guilty. I am guilty. We have this... This, what he describes as this strong intellectual conviction and assurance of truth, right? While pride is still in my heart and it makes a living faith which has power with God. And what faith is, it is not the confession of nothingness. Oh, excuse me. What faith is, is it not the confession of nothingness and helplessness, the surrender and the waiting to let God work again, Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. Humility is simply <coughs> the disposition that prepares the soul for living on trust. And even the most secret breathing of pride in self-seeking, self-will, self-confidence, or self-exaltation only serves to strengthen the self that cannot enter into the kingdom or possess the things of the kingdom because it refuses to allow God to be what he is and must be the all in all. As long as we take glory from one another, that's John chapter 5, verse 44, um, where Jesus says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? So that's what he's referring to. As long as we take glory from one another, as long as we seek and love and jealously guard the glory of this life, the honor and reputation that come from men, we do not seek and cannot receive the glory that comes from God. Salvation is union with delight and participation in the humility of Jesus. It is any wonder that our faith is so feeble 
when pride still reigns so much and we have hardly lean, excuse me, learned to long or pray for humility as the most necessary and blessed part of salvation. He speaks here of two passages in Scripture. And I may have mentioned in this group before. If I have, I apologize. Um, I don't want to call it a study. I did a survey of the Gospels. My intention to do a survey was to identify um, when Jesus was most excited. He's happy when he's really excited about something. And um, I guess that tells you how much uh, you know, what I'm thinking in terms of emotions. I'm really looking to Jesus to you know, show me some emotion sometimes. Show me your excitement. And these two passages that he has in here were part of the survey that I did. The centurion said, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. Matthew chapter 8, 8. At his humility, Jesus marveled and replied, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. That's when he was at his most excited. And um, the mother humbly spoke, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumb which fall from their master's table. And the Lord answered, O woman, great is thy faith. Those are the two... Uh, passages of scripture that uh, human perspective you, you just really see this utter humility there, there there's nothing lower than than where these people were at in their heart that brought just tremendous joy to just do we not have here the cause of failure uh, in the pursuit of holiness which is pride brothers and sisters nothing can cure you of the desire to receive honor from men, or of the sensitivity and pain and anger that come when it is not given. That's noise. That's noise. Except giving yourself to seek only the glory that comes from God. Out of this nothingness you will grow strong in faith, giving glory to God. You will find that the deeper you sink in humility before Him, the nearer he is to fulfill every desire. Of and so, uh, I obviously can't say it any better than he said it, um, but uh, as Mick has pointed out in the past, this is, this is easy, it's simple, it's not complex. God has never intended uh, our relationship with him to be complex. Uh, it is simply believing the truth, believing everything that God has to say, all that he has to say is reality, and anything outside of what he has to say, principally speaking or literally speaking, simply our imagination is false. It's a fantasy. Here, this illustration, we raised our kids. Um, we raised our kids. We had homeschooling for a specific reason, and uh, we all folks, uh, well, the main reason why we're homeschooling our kids is that uh, we could develop their character in Christ-likeness. And... Um, Say that uh, sometimes as someone who really doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they think it extremely odd. Uh, in fact, uh, more often than not, we would get a response that would be something like, "Well, don't you think you're sheltering them, and you know, really don't? You're really not going to have a, a good understanding of what's around them and how to deal with people and those kinds of things." Not that way at all. But why would we, in this? portion of our life, and I don't make the statement to judge anyone, why would we want them to understand and know fantasy, imagination, rather than say that back then, think that way, learned uh, to the extent of, you know, but that's really, their, their minds are living imaginations, oftentimes. So, um, the biblical solution for fear and anxiety. Anxiety is a subset of a broader emotion, uh, which is fear. 
<coughs> so where did uh, where did fear start? What what's the origin of fear? For, yep. And of course we read in Genesis chapter three, verses nine and ten. Um, the Lord called to the man, said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. That's that's the beginning, you know. So since the fall, um, fear is helpful, and sin, excuse me, and uh, it's not sinful when what? Give me some examples of when fear is helpful and it's not sinful. Okay? Warning? What, what would be a good example of that? Yeah, that's enough to get anybody afraid, right? Sure, following someone following you. Yeah, very good. That's good. That's good. Uh, you know, we live by railroad tracks here, right? That horn goes off, right? It goes off for a reason. It's to make sure that people have a reverence for crossing the tracks or not crossing the tracks when the train is coming. So fear is helpful and it's not sinful when it serves as a caution to alert us uh, to physical and spiritual danger. Um, it also serves as a catalyst to motivate us to physical or spiritual readiness. My wife gave a testimony class probably two or three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. She was saved at a young age. She was brought to many different kinds of churches and, in fact, some cults and uh, being taught certain things. And she was just a baby. I mean, she was only seven or eight years old, or maybe it was eight or nine. Just a real babe in Christ. But, but, but there was some fear that came over her that what they were saying wasn't true, so she just shut it out. That's that's the kind of fear that's good, you know. Spirit um, gives us. So, um, on the other side of the coin, fear is not helpful, and it is sinful when, in our unbelief, we allow anxiety to stop us from fulfilling or from carrying out um, God's will. So, anxiety as anxiety is a result of responding to life's uncertainties with a a wrong view or a distorted view of God. So, you know, we create our own anxieties by the way that we think about these uncertainties. I mean, that's why Scripture is constantly reminding us, fear not, right? Don't fear. Be anxious for what? Nothing. I mean, there are these admonitions, scriptural admonitions, over and over and over again, why? Why does God put it in his scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all the time? Because he knows, he knows our weakness. You know, he knows our weakness, our tendency of, of the flesh is to take the truth and replace it with uh, an imagination, a fantasy, a lie. That's, that's what he knows. So he's always telling us, don't fear. But God, I mean, there we have, but God, Scripture is always encouraging us that with God's help, we can do something about the fear. So... Our, our situation is is never hopeless. It's never hopeless. Talked about this 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 whole idea. This is very predictable. Um, it's very predictable. It's very preventable. And have that confidence. We should have that confidence because we're given that confidence through the Word of God. Uh, Proverbs chapter one verse thirty three. We read, "But he who listens to me shall live securely." That means in certainty, absolute stable certainty. So, but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil, from the fear of evil. So listen to me. God is, you know, kind of wooing us and saying, just just listen to me, Ember, 
and take it to heart. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's keeping, that's, 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 that's knowing them. That's, um, from a practical perspective, memorizing them. Keeping them in my heart, right? For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So scripture encourages our soul toward a sense of, uh, what, what word, and by the way, all these words begin with C. Um, so what word would we say that would fly, I am safe in God's care? That's good. Confidence. I use the word certainty. Okay. I think both are good there. The second would be, I don't need anything more to do um, God's will today. So I don't need anything more. I don't need anything more to do God's will. So contentment, certainty, Secondly, contentment. And third, I just used compass. I can focus my effort on serving Jesus and others. Uh, so we've talked today you know, about this whole idea of overcoming fear and anxiety kind of on the way up from a, a scriptural perspective, from an ad- attitudinal perspective. Um, let's talk a little bit about the practical nature of overcoming uh, these uh, anxieties and fears. So sometimes enemy thoughts seem so intrusive. Have you ever thought or felt, I mean, I am just being inundated. This is so intrusive. This is like I'm being attacked on all sides. I'm just constantly thinking about this. I can't get away from it. Um, You almost feel that um, your mind was being attacked by the devil. And so these obsessive thoughts are a result, very practically speaking, of repetition Right, and concentration on doubt or other wrong thoughts. That's what's happening. It's being repeated, and you're concentrating and focusing on something over and over and over again. So there's three things important to note here about that. First of all, our memories are predictable. Um, If we review something over and over again, our mind remembers it better. Is that true or not? We're reviewing something over and over and over and over again. Repetition helps us remember things, okay? It helps us remember good things, and it also helps us remember things that uh, unstillness, this disquietness in our soul, number one. Number two, if we concentrate on something very diligently, our mind is imprinted more deeply. So... <clears throat> Again, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is, is identify what's happening on the way down because these principles can be applied on the way up. It's, just, it's basically the same principle that we apply on the way out, if you will. So if we concentrate on something very diligently, our mind is imprinted more deeply. So you've got repetition, you have diligent concentration. And then thirdly, you have if the thing that we're focused on elicits Strong emotion, okay? Strong emotion. We are sure to remember it more vividly, okay? This is on the way down. In fact, in fact, if you, if, if you look at some of these things, right? Here, this idea of lust, if you incorporate more than just the thought life, if you're putting things in front of your eyes, if you're going further, those kinds of things, if you're fulfilling more senses in these things, you're going to remember this vividly. 
vividly. It's going to be like, this is so embedded in my mind, I can't get it out. Well, that's because of the repetition, of the diligent concentration, and of the strong emotion that's connected to it. That's the way down. The way out is the same as far as disciplines are concerned. It really is. So we can use these principles of repetition, concentration, and strong emotion to break the habit of thinking wrong thoughts and to imprint, that is to hide in our heart, these believing thoughts, the right thoughts, in our mind and in our heart. So I want to uh, just share a quick story. Um, This whole idea of this unbelief and this disquietedness and this discontentment and this despair and hopelessness. And this is probably not the best illustration, but it's the best one that I can think of, and it's the most personal to our family. Uh, One of our sons, we have two sons in the military. One of our sons is a Navy SEAL. If you have seen any programs or anything else like that about the Navy SEAL training to become one, it is uh, arguably, maybe, I don't think it is the the most rigorous um, training that anyone will go through they don't call themselves soldiers. They call themselves SEALs, if you will. Um, it, is, it is incredibly difficult. And their intention um, is, is to, to, to take these principles, if you will, and, and turn them on their head. So what ends up happening with, with this Navy SEAL training is they push every single individual. They push them to the brink, um, and they push them until every discontented person group gives up, except for those who don't. So in my son's case, 243 started, 25 finished. That's not unusual, by the way. That, that matriculation rate is, is very, very normal. So what they want to do is they want to push you physically, mentally, and emotionally to this... This, they want a ton of disquietedness in you. They want to get you to, you know what, if only I had a hot shower. I know that sounds ridiculous to us in this room, but they don't, you don't get hot showers for the first 10 weeks. You are in 55 to 57 degree water constantly. You are constantly wet. You are filled with sand in your hair, in your eyes, in your ears, and in other places when you have to run and do things, and it is not just annoying, but it's bloody, it's blistery, it's terrible, it's agonizing. And they want to get everyone right here, and they want to get you, if they can, to right here. And they're actually, when you, when you see some of the training and some of the stuff that I've heard my son say, the, the leaders, um, the, the commanders, are actually quite nice to these fellows. You know, not, I wouldn't say, when, when they go up to them and they look like they're ready to quit, and they say, you know what, this isn't for everybody. Don't be ashamed. It's okay. It's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed about. And see, what they're doing is they're looking for the chink in the armor because a lot of guys will say, this isn't for me. They go take their helmet, they go ring the bell, and they put all these hundreds of helmets, 200, if you all lined up on this one thoroughfare, if you will. That's what they're trying to do. And what ends up happening is, and you see these guys in training, um, they, uh, they get to a point where it's no longer, it's no, it, they don't care anymore. The guys who actually make it, 
They're just out there like zombies. You're told to do something, then they just do it. They just do it. So what they end up learning is that their will will fail before their body. So these guys are so well trained, not only physically are they all jacked, but mentally and emotionally, they will not fail. Now my son has the the glorious understanding that he has God behind him. Most of those guys don't. But, But that's why they're so good. They will never fail in their mind. They are completely invincible. Whatever they have to do, they'll do. It doesn't matter what they have to go through. So that, that's, uh, that's you know, sort of akin to this, you know, if you will. Um, they, they believe and experience that their bodies will take them anywhere, everywhere. And it's that kind of, uh, it's a greater, but it's that kind of faith that I'm trying to make a correlation to. Our faith in Christ our faith in His Word, our trust in His Word, is anywhere. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. How much more important is it for us to be clinging true to the truth and humbling ourselves underneath it so that we can do absolutely anything that God wants us to do? And so the diligent, um, diligently refuse to think false thoughts. Um, they're effect will gradually lose much of their seemingly irresistible force. We need to replace enemy thoughts of anxiety and fear. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise dwell on these things. I showed this to Mark uh, before class. Um, in the last church we were at, we had a, uh, a Bible memorization. I, I don't even want to call it a program. It was just part of what we did as, as a church. And we called it Armory for Victory. Um, it's a little packet you know, with like business cards in there. Uh, the Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And uh, every week, we had 52 um, verses that we memorized. Um, and uh, there were topics like my opinion of God's word, Psalm 119, 128, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things, right? And I know, and so there are many, many different ways to do this. I had handed out to the class um, a, uh, a list of verses that's called the um, Stabilizing Truth for Our Soul, Part A, and I'll have a Part B as well. But be still my soul because God will always meet my needs. And then I listed several passages of Scripture underneath this. So this is, this is uh, taking God's Word and just putting it in our heart that we would not uh, sin against Him. So, um, diligently, gradually, and replace enemy thoughts there. Um, face your fears with God's help. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline Psalm 56.4, in God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? So these are some practical thoughts, really, about getting back out, um, dealing with this, this unstillness, this noise in our soul. We need to be asking ourselves, what is really bothering us um, right now? Am I afraid that I might lose control? Am I afraid that... I might fail if I attempt this task. 
I, am I afraid that people might laugh at me or reject me? Am I afraid I might have a disease or, or, or die? Some things that obviously we need to be asking ourselves. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It is carrying out God's will no matter how we feel. So in conclusion, really today, I just want to... Growth in the knowledge of God is the only solution to anxious and fearful hearts. That is really just the knowledge of God. Yeah, Dave. Part of it is physical. Yeah, that's there good. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you so much. In fact, Dave is uh, going to take the... I don't know if it's the very next module, but going to be taking a module about the disciplines, okay? And this is, I mean, the transition to that is almost perfect. Thank you very much. Very, very good. And the idea of the physical is actually going to be connected very well next week because Matt Souls will be in here this week. We talked about these, this, this, this sort of two-layered foundation, okay, to support um, a healthy Life, healthy meaning spiritual and, and physical. And the most important layer was what? Not the body, but the mind, right? Very good, spiritual mind, right. So the one layer, it, most important is our mind, right? Because that's where the spiritual battle is in the mind. And the other layer, layer that supports that heavy stress that comes on us, you know, is the body. Um, and both of those are extremely important. I asked Matt to come and speak to us, and he is going to do it next week, Thursday. And those that we're talking about have sent him uh, some of my notes, and uh, uh, so he's going to be prepared to. I, don't be afraid. I told him our youngest is 50, <laughs> and, and our oldest is maybe 80. Don't know. <laughs> I said, that's the range. I said, so don't, you know. <laughs> so... He's, I'm really excited about that because I, th- yeah. I think he's going to give us some really good practical advice uh, to hopefully keep our bodies in better shape than what we're doing right now. Mark, did you? Yes, it is. No question about that. I mean, the Lord says that in his word. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, but practically speaking, and we talked about these physical dysfunctionalities as it relates to the stresses in our lives, um, it's important. Um, it's not the most important thing, but as we all know, listen, and I said this early on, apart from Christ coming back, okay, which I would late it if he came back next next week, whatever. Um, apart from him coming back, you're all going to die. Bodies will degrade. That's because of the fall. So we have to understand that. So it, so it's not a it's not an if. It's a when. But there is a quality. Uh, of life that's associated with well in terms of eating. Amen.